Welcome to the Weekly Woodcast with Dennis and Michael Woodworth, and we have a special guest in studio today that has, well, certainly made an impact in our officiating and playing, his playing career, which is kind of dwindling down now, but more of an official than he is a player, Jeremy Stevens from the Bridgewater area. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thanks, Dan. Pleasure to be here. The, um, tonight we want to talk about a subject that I think is very important in the sporting culture, and whether you live here in the East Coast, Nova Scotia, or whether you live on the West Coast of California or Texas or in Tuktoyuktuk in the, you know, the northern part of Canada, it really doesn't matter. Officials are very important in sports. We, um, we tend to take them for granted sometimes and don't understand their journeys as much as we do players. We certainly don't celebrate their accomplishments as much as we do players. And uh, I want to spend some of the time talking about that tonight. Sure. You... Um, you officiate hockey in the winter, and you're uh, you're the reigning umpire of the year for baseball in Nova Scotia, uh, and that's a very proud accomplishment not only for yourself but for our association locally because you played as a player here for quite some time. You were part of an intermediate AAA provincial championship in 2009. Correct. And I think you had a couple junior championships under your belt. Yeah, I think we had one. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that uh, back in 1876 yeah, or right. something like that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so... Um, but officiating gives you a different perspective. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, it's, and having done them both, I think that's where you know I benefit from seeing both sides of it. I was like once a player, and I was that person yelling at the official. So you were the the, the difficult one. That's right. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think everybody everybody who knows me knows that that was the case. Yeah, yeah exactly. But then you get it. Your, your playing career is over. Right. And you just want to be involved in the game. So mostly baseball is what I got heavily into uh, on the umpiring side of things. So, right. Um, dove into that probably eight, nine years ago pretty heavy. And, uh, you did. And, and you moved my, and did a very good job early up. on. And, and I mean, you've, you've taken how many, you were, how many national championships have you Two done nationals, now? A, what was Pee Wee um, in Woodstock, Ontario? Right. And the U18s in uh, London, Ontario. Tell me about those experiences. Just Yeah, Woodstock was great. Uh, my first one, super nervous. Didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, Dave Cass was our supervisor for right. the, from New Brunswick. Great guy. Um, pretty mellow once we got going. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a whole different ballgame when you get to nationals, as you, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. Everything's by the book. It's people picking you up. You know, you, you need to know know your stuff to get there. Without question. Another side of that would be the the smaller field, in the in the peewee. I mean, your your bases are close. There's not lots of your room out there. Bases are close in in that in that division. So, a little bit of adjustment, but mainly it's the rules. Uh, I mean, things happen just like that, and if you don't know them, you're you got four people watching you at all times for supervisors. If you don't know it, you're you're going to hear about it after the game. Most of those positions are given to people who have spent time, an enormous amount of time in clinics and practical experience on the field. So they really don't send anyone to the nationals that doesn't have that level of comfortability and understanding of the rules. Yeah, that's right. Also understanding the strike zone and having a consistent out, out safe call because the game can get pretty quick yeah. sometimes, yeah. even at a peewee level. Oh, exactly. I mean, you got to. That, that's the thing. Timing is everything in, in, in officiating any, any sport, really. But, it, you, you know, it's by the book. You, you need to know it. And if you don't do it by the book throughout the year, you're in trouble. There's no question. 
you have a lot of parents that are going to be listening to this podcast, whether they're going to be listening to it on Spotify or Apple or watching it on YouTube. I really wanted to invite you in to discuss the role of parenting in sports. I mean, you're a parent yourself. I'm a parent myself. Really, when you walk into a rink or on a, on a, onto a field, whether it's a baseball field, a football field, a soccer field, whatever the case may be, what, what do you feel, what has been your experiences when it comes to parents participating as a fan? You know, good and bad. I mean, you always have your good ones that, you know, will sit and just watch the game. But, you know, you, you do have your bad your bad spectators, whether it's family, friends, or, or whoever, mm-hmm. um, who maybe don't know the game, have never officiated, um, don't know the stress level of those officials that are on the field or the ice surface or whatever. Um, but, I mean, they... It's, hard, it's so hard to explain like the feelings you get as, as an umpire with somebody you make a strike call and you got two or three people telling you it's not. Yeah, like, I know. Maybe it's I did it. Maybe it wasn't at that time. Like, maybe I was wrong. Well, how many perfect players did you see in your day? That's right. Zero. <laughs> I mean, like, like, really, when you think about it, like crazy. how can you as a parent criticize an official that misses us? I mean, especially young kids. So, you know, you know, when we, when we have like, you know, mosquito divisions, what we call now 11 under, 1300 there's a lot of young kids that start umpiring at the you know young ages who don't have that command of the strike zone yet and you've got parents back there and behind the backstop chirping this young kid about their strike zone what what's the first thing we tell young kids how big should the strike zone be big as you want as big as you want you want the kids hitting the ball right right? not walking around the bases so um big at the lower levels yeah you got make them hit you shrink it down a little bit, but you know you don't want to be at the field, and no parent wants to be at the field for three hours. I remember sitting down with Baseball Nova Scotia when I was supervisor of coaches, and a couple of our board members were talking about actually making the plate bigger and the strike zone larger so that the games went faster. One of the things about baseball, well, a beautiful thing for someone like yourself or myself who loves the game, is that there's no time limit. But a lot of parents are conditioned in other sports, whether it's hockey, soccer, football, you name it, Exactly. there's always a time limit. So they know, okay, it's going to take an hour and a half, and then we head home. Baseball sometimes can take quite some time, especially if it's not pitched well. So having a bigger strike zone just makes more sense. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, it, you know, I think this year with, with the COVID, and they did have time limits on games. Yeah. There was a time limit. And I, I wouldn't hate to see that stay, you know, for the lower levels. But right, it's, absolutely. It's the U11 – or 11U, whatever it is, um, you know, it's you try calling 300 pitches. <laughs> as, a, as a new umpire, I don't do U11 or 11U. Um, lower, le- lower level umpires do that. And their first, second, third year, and they're out there calling 300 pitches. I know. I wouldn't want to do it. I really wouldn't. And with the pitch count rules, you're always having pitchers coming in and out. So it's about development. And I think as a provincial body, as Baseball Canada in general, if you ask Jason Dixon, who's the president of Baseball Canada, he'll tell you that all those levels are all about development. Exactly. So to have a kid on a field for three and a half hours for a game just doesn't make a lot of sense. It really doesn't. It doesn't. But, I mean, it's hard to have a – I remember being, well, my experience, 11 years old. I was in Yarmouth one time, and – I had not parents, but I had I was a catcher, and, and I had a group of players chirping me, and I knew how hard it was on me as a player, and that's just 
other players doing it, let alone a bunch of parents chirping an umpire that's has, you know, not a lot of experience, but trying to gain experience. A lot of those kids at that age that are umpiring are either past players or still playing. And if you don't have those umpires or referees in whether whatever sport it is, you don't have games. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you think about it. Are you going to go home and yell at your 13-year-old kid for making a mistake, like a ball and a strike? Exactly. Like you have a 13-year-old kid out there calling 300 pitches, and you're 45, 50 years old yelling at this kid in yeah. front of everybody. No kidding. Like, they just don't They don't get it, and they don't see it. Same as in hockey, wrong. though. Oh, exactly. You got a kid out there that's a linesman, and you got an offside call, and it's a bang-bang one, and then you've got a bunch of parents up in the bleachers, you know, telling him to open his eyes or open her eyes, and it doesn't give a lot of encouragement for those kids to to stay in the game as officials. They're not paid a lot of money to do it. No. You actually, you know, because you spend a lot of money as an official. Oh, yeah. You talk about uniforms and equipment, and, I mean, you're, it takes a while to recuperate your investment, especially for kids. That's right. Oh, exactly, and. You know, that's why as an association, you try to buy lots of stuff for them mm. and, and all that. But the hardest thing to do is keep an official after the first their first two years. Absolutely. The, the hardest thing to do. And, you know, as I'm on the board for, you know, BNSUD as a umpire chief down here. And, you know, you see you got your, you know, 100 umpires, level one, first year. Next year, if you have 50, like that's You're lucky. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Down here, if you have 10 and you have five the next year, you're very lucky. You know, it's urban and rural. Same thing. Doesn't doesn't sway. No, and it's 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 a challenging experience for young people. So I think the more positive experience we can create by our parents understanding their roles, then and coaches as well. I mean if you're coaching a eleven um, U team, and that eleven U team has a coach that feels like he's coaching professional baseball, you're in the wrong place. That's right. You know, you're in a development area where you're there to develop the sport. Um, they just got to understand the environment they're in. Yeah, that's right. And you and I both know, like, you're a good baseball player. Was. Um, was I was a good <laughs> hockey player. Now I barely play anymore. Um, how many people do you know from around here that have made it to the NHL or MLB? Well, there's one. There's one. Um, no one's ever played pro baseball. No. Um, one's made pro hockey as a career. We've had a lot of – I mean, I think communities have certain players that play at certain levels, but – as a, a, an actual career, we've only really had one wow. professional that's athlete. It. That's Glenn Murray. I mean, Jenna Martin yeah. would be the next one, and, right. and she she competed in the Olympics, exactly. but Perfect. really wasn't a professional career as in regards to remuneration. That's right. Track and field's hard to, to have as a full-time career. Now, coaching and things like that later is as part of it for her. But, I mean, other than that, and we've had a lot of good athletes come through exactly. our doors. Many small communities, many cities had a lot of good athletes. Exactly, yeah. You know, I mean, if you... If you develop the kids and they're to get to school, to get a good education, if you play hockey, great. 100%. Enjoy your from 5 to 17. Absolutely. Enjoy it. Develop 
maybe you play AAA. That's awesome. That's our goal as an association from the South Shore. You know, you want to advance your players. But let's be realistic about expectations. 100%. Especially at the ages, you know, 11, 12, 13. Like, just rein it in a little bit. Keith Getson is a great example for us. Keith's going to be on a future podcast um, about the, his journey of, of you know, playing junior hockey and then leading to his education. If that's what you can accomplish for your son or daughter, um, my nephew, Luke Woodworth, is in the process of playing junior hockey, and, and he'll likely have that opportunity as well, and many other guys along the way and girls. Which is unbelievable. Really, if you can have an education paid for by playing sports, well, it's a win-win. I mean... I just stopped paying my education like, <laughs> four years ago. Yeah. Like, and you're not 22 or 23 no, years old. No, that's right. So. I mean, so if we can start getting the mindset in people that, you know, develop minor, if you get a chance, take it at the university level and, and go from there. But, you know, expectations are so high with, with parents. and So much pressure. Uh, it's it, The fun is, is leaving the game mm. at a rapid pace especially in the minor level. When you look at life after a sport, like look what you're doing, look what you've done. There's a lot of productive people that come out of sport that become future coaches, trainers, whatever the case may be. So there's always a, there's always a life after playing as long as you, you know, have education. So let's talk about some of the education. Like as an official, you just don't walk on a field or walk on the ice without gaining, you know, some form of certification. That's right. Yeah. And then continuing education, like you're, uh, what level now you are an umpire? Four. So you're level four umpire. Yeah. Um, that doesn't come overnight. No. It takes time, right? And, I mean, it's, you know, I started back when I was 13, but mm-hmm. I took a break. Yeah. You know, when I was playing, just too much on the go. Absolutely. I couldn't handle it. Um, playing careers over, got right back into it and started from – Level one. I was a level one at the age of 26, I would guess. Two years, I was two or three years. I was level three and then got recommended by Brian Lamb, superintendent in the Eastern. Big shout out to Brian Lamb in the Valley of Nova Scotia. Great guy. Just got married. Congratulations. Um, He gave me the recommendation to Blaine. and uh, Blaine Gallant, you're talking about. Blaine Gallant, yeah. He's the uh, supervisor of officials for Nova Scotia. The province, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just... He said, if Brian says yes, and, and that's a yes, and it's a year of, you know, before you get to write your exam the year before, you know, pass that, super clinics, it's get your own gear, it's, you know, it's literally thousands of dollars. Huh. And, and then working with others that have experience so you can gain that game experience at that speed. That's right. I came in at a good time where there were very few in the national program at my age in my level. So I went right away. I, right. Went, I got lucky and went to the 13 U right away. But I mean, you don't get paid for that. I'm, no. not, I'm not paid for that. <laughs> I mean, they pay for your flight and stuff, but I'm taking, you know, eight, nine days off work. Yeah, absolutely. No pay. Like that's on my dime. You know, it's travel. My training's in Halifax where it's a three umpire system. I, there's not that down here. No. I have to travel. I don't get travel money for that. Nope. Like it's on, on my own dime. So it is a commitment. But it, it, you know, it essentially pays off. It paid off for me. Um, well, you love the game too. Oh yeah, it keeps you engaged in the game. That as a player, you have a choice: you're either going to coach baseball or you're going to officiate. You can do both sometimes too. 
But I think to be good at it, to be at a high level of officiating as an umpire in baseball, you need practical experience on a regular basis. So it's hard to be a coach. That's right. Yeah. committed to a, a program or a team and then umpire at the same time and be good at both. That's right. I mean, I know a few that are in the national program that are coaches, but not and, many. And they don't, they, you know, they don't progress as quickly as right. others because they don't have the opportunity. Exactly. To so I, I guess I'm, I'm lucky that way where I don't coach, but I'm not saying that I won't when my children get older, yeah, but, absolutely. but right now it's, I'm, you know, it's, it's pretty heavy and, and I do enjoy it. And I, I, I do love the umpire. I'm How old are the kids? That. Kids are 10, Jordan's 10, uh, Luca is 5 in grade primary, started school, and Jack is 4. Wow. Yeah, so. That is busy, awesome. Busy, man, busy. Nothing wrong with being busy, Time man. Time flies. Kids are your life. It yeah. really is. I mean, um, no, it's, and they get to watch you too, right? Because yeah, sometimes right. they don't get to watch you as a player, which some of your kids did for a little while yeah. when they were young, or younger, because they're still young. Yeah. The, um, to be able to be, be engaged in a program, you know, we live in a small town of 8,500 people. Um, we've been fortunate enough to have, you know, a reasonably high level of the game here for quite some time, yeah. which gives you, you know, a platform to work from, which gives you the experience that That's you right. need. Yeah. And uh, we've hosted a lot of provincial championships here over the years. And, and, and then it gives you a chance to work with other people across our province and our region. That's right. Not just in Nova Scotia, but Atlantic Canada. And then meet other people across the country because when you go to national championships, there's literally representation from almost every province. Oh, it's, un- it's unbelievable. I've been to two nationals, and I've had this two guys from Alberta, the same same crew. Very good buddy of mine, Matt Beaudry. He's the off-ice official for, official for the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. So he's he's got the buzzer. If he sees a goal go in and nobody does and they keep playing, he's got the buzzer. He hits it. He's on all the calls to Toronto. Great guy. He was a linesman in the OHL and – AHL for a bit, but great guy. See him, one of my one of my very best friends, and we talk all the time. And you know, it's those people that those relationship relationships you form mm. that you you know you never forget, and they're not replaceable. Well, and, and you have a lot of relatability because you have the same interest, and that where you get an opportunity to learn from each other. That's right. You know, you, you talk about situations, whether it's in baseball or hockey or football or soccer. You seem to you know be involved with that culture. And then you just get better at what you do. That's right. Exactly. You know, I just think it's, you know, as if you go back to when you were 12 or 13 years old, and I actually remember when you were 12 and 13 years old. I remember when you were eight years old yeah, playing baseball, right. um, that little left-hander running out in, in the outfield and right field or center field. But it's, let's go back to being that age, and, and you were a good player to be an umpire behind the plate and having parents ride your ass the whole time. Really, probably would have discouraged you from continuing to umpire oh, at that age. I probably wouldn't have. <clears throat> so, um, that's the message we really want to, you know, let people know about in the podcast is just let your kids play, let the officials do their best at whatever level, and if you seek perfection from the officials, then seek perfection from the players and yourself. That's right. Have a little patience. You know, well, I, empathy. We keep using that same word in almost every podcast, it seems like, since COVID hit, is just have more empathy for the people that are on the field or, or on the ice or because um, we ha- I haven't met a perfect person yet, no, not one. No. And, I mean, you're, you know, the people that are yelling and screaming, like, your kids make mistakes every time they go out on the field. Well, and you're, how do your kids feel about that? That's, you know, it's, they see mom and dad yelling at the umpire. 
<laughs> what does that say? That's that's acceptable. Yeah. So now I'm going to yell at the umpire. No kidding. Like that's where it starts. Yep. And it never ends. Never ends unless it's corrected. Now we we're lucky around here to have some pretty good coaches. Um, they take care of that stuff mm. mostly, but. You know, I've been in associations and umpired that, you know, it's just nonstop from the bench and the coaches are, are invisible. You know, that stems from... That's leadership. That's homegrown. Yeah, like it really is. It's unfortunate, but it, it, it makes it difficult. And when you're, at a, when you're at a provincial organization level, whether it's a baseball program or soccer, football, basketball, it doesn't matter. We set guidelines as an organization provincially so that we have those codes of conduct for players, for coaches, for officials. But I really think we should have a code of conduct for parents, you know, because it's minor sports. It's about creating life experiences for your children so that they can relate in real life later on, you know. And if you don't have the ability to understand that the job for your, your son or daughter is to learn about winning and losing, succeeding and failing, working in a team environment with a positive mental attitude, uh, showing leadership skills verbally, sometimes showing leadership skills physically. Um, not every leader is a verbal leader. Developing all those skills along the way and then seeing them grow as human beings so that later on they become productive in, in society. You know, really, that's what I looked at my whole life. I, tell, I, t I told all my guys, your life is like a book, and each year is a chapter. Is your book worth reading? You know, what are you teaching? What are you learning? What are you developing? What life experiences are you having? I don't think in a book you ever want to say, hey, we went to such and such a community and we rode the referees or umpire's ass the whole time we were there. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's just not part of the book. No. And, you know, you know I've, I've coached Parkview with, with Ethan and Ethan Thomas, who's still there now. Yeah. And it's, you know, you still know these kids. And you, you just say to yourself, maybe I did something correctly move these kids in the right direction. And I know a few that, you know, we've had an impact on not just me, but the whole coaching staff. Right. That, that's had impacts on these kids. And now they're they're thriving, not just because of us, but, you know, we hope that we... are a little part of it. We hope that we're a part of it. That's all you can ask for. And that's all you want. You're a seed for them. Their jobs to let that seed grow. And some people only get one seed. Some people have 10, 20, 50 seeds that they get to be exposed to that allow to grow in their lives and you're right i mean being a volunteer coach gives you a chance to be able to make a positive impact on kids in society at a young age that you could influence to be productive in society and you're hoping that that contribution in some way um, you get to see later on in life whether they live in the community you live in or even moving back after a decade or two I, listen chris zink was a kid, little bony kid that I coached, you know, back in the 80s. And, and all of a sudden, they, you know, he moved away for a while. And then one day he showed up with this kid named Zach Zink and his little daughter Jalen and said, I'm moving back to Bridgewater. And I was like, you know, that's phenomenal. And I said, which one's your kid? He said, that one over there. I said, that can't be your kid. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> as soon as he threw the ball, though, I knew it was oh, his kid, right. right? Always at the field, too. Like, you know, I mean, so you, you, those productive people in sport, tend to magnetize and come back to the communities they grew up in. That's right. And, you know, back to the coaching and, you know, you have conversations with these kids that they might not even have with their parents. You know, you're just... Valid maybe, point. Maybe they're they're scared or they don't want to, they're just nervous about it. But, you know, you have conversations that they trust you with, you know, to, you know, give them advice or whatever. 
And, you know, that that's what I do miss about coaching the most is, you know, having those conversations with the kids mm. and, and, you know, how's their life, how how are they in their life right now? But like, you could just, I mean, even, even as an official, if you're a, a baseball umpire, you could, you could be a baseball coach and then um, umpire five years later and see a kid that you did coach, right? I right. mean, you get to see them, that progression through society and progression through their community and, you know, we have another organization here that's sports related in our community called, you know, the, the Bridgewater Barracuda swim team that um, has been very successful in our community. And um, provincially they, they've, they've had a level of excellence for a long time. Right. takes an enormous amount of coaches and officials in those sports to be able to even organize a swim meet. Oh yeah. Crazy. Hundreds right. Of people. And some of those parents can be lunatics. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just crazy. I mean, as a parent, you just got to love your kids and let them grow. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's really what I've, you know, 30 plus years as a coach, um, you know, as, and then obviously 20 years as a player and in multiple sports, we've met so many people along that path that, that shape us. We just got to let the kids today kind of have the same journey, but we are just so micro focused on, you know, everyone's going to make it to the pros and everyone's going to make, you know, seven figures in their lives. And that's just not reality. And winning and losing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy that, you know, you love to win. You got to learn to lose though. Well, win, winning's not always on the scoreboard. No. That's and right. it, I know it sounds cliche-ish, but the reality is, is that winning takes care of itself on the scoreboard when you build winners. Yeah. And what are winners? What characteristics need to be in place to build a winner? And then it almost falls in place that you win on a regular basis. You're still going to lose some games. But even when you lose, you don't mind losing because either you know why you've lost. You're playing the right way. Yeah, because you know why you lost. Or you face an opponent that is just superior to you, and then you want to better yourself. And I think in society, we have this uh, everything has to be fair mentality. You know, I remember, like I think it was about five years back when they, soccer was going to, not use a ball. Like, what the hell is that? Like, how can you even, and in fairness, we're not going to use a ball. I'm like, well, that's where you start. That's right. Oh, that wasn't you know? that long ago, was that? That wasn't that long ago. No, I mean, I think it was, and I'm like, we're getting into this fairness type of attitude almost in society. Competition's good if it's healthy. Yeah. You know, and that's why as an official, when, you're on the field or you're, you know, whether you're a soccer field or basketball court, it's healthy to, to put your child in a competitive environment to see how they react to it. I, I coached girls basketball for quite a few years, uh, oh, 10 years ago or so, and I see all these young women now, Caitlin Yaten and Emma Vino and Emma DeLong and, you know, oh, so many to mention. Kenzie Dimmo actually played baseball. That's how right, I actually yeah. found McKenzie to play baseball was in basketball. He was a great player. Yeah, I mean, it's just um, – and I wanted just to provide a positive environment for them as a coach. But I never once ever gave them the opportunity to see me vomit on an, on an official, no, that's whether right. it's on a basketball court or on a baseball field or in a hockey rink. And it's not easy, especially in our national sport, which – is not lacrosse, even though it's the official yeah. national sport. Our official sport is hockey. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, 
and I know I've umpired games where you've coached, like obviously down here. You know, I've never once, I don't, you've never blown up at me. Um, you might have walked by and let it be known that you weren't happy as you were walking by and going back to the bench. Mm-hmm. And that's how you do it. Like that, nobody heard you except me. Mm-hmm. There was nobody around. You know, and I think those eight years or so that you had, you and Chris and Barry had those teams, that made myself a way better umpire than I would have been. You know, we were seeing AAA teams all the time. Right. Where when I was playing, you know, we were having fun. We were B. We were C. You know, we didn't, you know, it wasn't that difficult to officiate. But you get up there in AAA and, you know, 13U, 15U, 18U. It's a great platform for someone like yourself to come in and and umpire at the highest level. And, I mean, you got your starting pitchers throwing 60, then you're 70, then you're 80. And now I'm getting to nationals at the 18U level, and there's guys throwing 90. Absolutely. And that's fast. But now I'm used to it. But if I was, if we had, you know, you know, B and C down here with, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but we had, it made me a better umpire to well, do AAA. for someone who wants to better themselves as an official, you, you need to give yourself a good platform to work from. And, and we still provide in our association where I live different categories, but then you give officials where their comfortability is that opportunity to utilize that platform because right. not everyone's going to umpire at a national level. That's right. The amount of time and effort and energy and money and resources and education, all that kind of stuff together. Not everyone invests that kind of money. I love seeing kids get back of the game and, and making summer money or ho- in hockey making winter money where there's, you know, they're saving a few dollars up to buy themselves something or buy something for their parents or whatever the case may be. Um, and learning the discipline of being a disciplined individual um, in officiating and seeing it from the other side yeah. is the other thing. If you've always only seen it from one side, that's why I, I guess as an umpire, I enjoyed it the most is that I knew the rules. Like when I, when I played, I knew the rules. Even my guys at the, at the provincial level, we used to do level two exams in our clinics. We used mm-hmm. to have clinics, indoor classroom sessions. And one part of it was, our level two umpiring clinic so that my guys knew the rules. Yeah. That's the hardest part. Like there's lots of them. That book that everybody sees that famous book, which is now online because they don't I print know. them anymore. I know the hundreds of pages. Like I have to know those rules because if I get one wrong, it is on film and I'm not moving up. Yeah. Which is, you know, I'll just tell a story from this 18 you, I mean, just I'm human, right? You know, 36, 35 at the time. 18U, there was a, a collision at the plate. Buddy jumped over, tried to Superman over top of him. This is in the quarterfinal game. And I'm having a great tournament up until then. Um, I didn't I didn't eject him. He kind of flew over him. I interpreted it like he was getting out of the way. Right, trying to avoid contact. Trying to avoid contact. I didn't eject him. Probably should have just to save the catcher. As you know, the catcher is you know, vulnerable. They're not expecting collisions anymore. Like, yeah. That mistake probably cost me my junior senior recommendation, which would have cost me if they would have had it, Canada Games, one play, that's it. Like I have to know those rules. Like that's and 
No, I bet you, you I bet you remember that room for now on. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to eject. That's it. That's it. Anybody who touches You're the not going to forget. Ejected. Trust me. See, no, yeah. no, you're not yeah. going to forget. And that's the thing. You live and learn. But nobody came down on me and said, you know, that was awful. You know, that was right. that was terrible. You know, after the game, supervisor came in and said, it's over. It's done with. You know, shook our hands. You know, other than that. It's almost it was, a, it was a great judgment job. call, too. That's oh, a yeah, real fine-line yeah, judgment call. And, and there was a, there was quite an quite a discussion in the stands because we were the only game. It was quarterfinal that yeah. night. It was 7 o'clock on, on a Friday, I think. And uh, and there was quite a discussion on what the other umpires would have called there. And there was there was a, more than a few that said they would have called nothing. Yeah. But what was their – I, I have to listen to my – you know, the supervisor who – I, I take them so, I'm next time I'll I'll know, and I'll have something to go back on, but it was it was the leadership of that, the supervisors, you know, the other umpires, you know, it's a competition to get to the gold medal game, but nobody used that as you know we got them now because I was in the gold medal game right regardless of that play right I did the gold medal third base, but everybody was super supportive from an umpire's position. Well, I think and, in that kind of a situation, it's a learning experience for a lot of umpires. Yeah. So they use your call or your play as an example for others. That's right. Which then they get to relate to that call. And I think that'll allow other umpires to make the same call same you'll call. make. And that's how you learn. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is most of our, you know, second or third nationals. And, you know, that's how you learn the game. Now it's in my head. Yeah. Now, now you won't make a mistake again. So let's talk call. about your 10-year-old. You officiating at the levels that you have and also coaching, but especially officiating, how do you think it's going to help with your kids? I, I'm hoping that it has a positive, positive you know, effect on yeah. them. You know, I mean, from my experience as a player and a, and a coach and an umpire, you know, we're not going to, you know, you're going to preach patience. You're going to, you're not going to be yelling and screaming. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, you just, nobody gets ahead if you're, if you're doing that. And I mean, you, you started coaching at, at a younger age yeah, 20s. where there's, you know, probably a little bit of, you know, machismo in coaching at that time, coming in as an official, especially at a high level, it gives you a different angle to come from. That's right. So that, if you and it's likely you're going to probably be involved in some capacity coaching your children, That's whether right. it's with the team or even off the team, because a lot of coaching comes from dad being in the batting cage, the backyard, whatever the case may be. I think I can foresee one of those games where maybe your son or daughter is playing and they may not have liked the call, but your experience is going to keep them more level-headed because of what you have experienced. Yeah, that's right. Throughout all your, you know, exactly. and your with experience. the parents too. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, if you hear it, you know, you shut it down, you know, and then you don't have it again. Yeah, like you I know. can tell you from my parents, never wrote an umpire unless unless they were being very unprofessional. And there are some out there. I remember one in specific that was in Dieppe one day. Um, but it's rare. It's rare. And I always said to the parents, like, you are part of the team. You may not wear a jersey, but but you're part of the team. You reflect an image of who we are. May, yes, we're tough to play against as a team, 
but but we do it the right way with the right attitude. So I don't want to ever ever show up an umpire. I don't want to show up another team um, by being unsportsmanlike. That's right. And and if you don't think it happens in oh, places, it it happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of years ago, he down here at the thirteen U, I believe it was, might even be an eleven U. We had a parent arrested. I remember that arrested for hanging over the fence. That's crazy. And yelling at the umpires who were 15, 16 years old. Like, so not, this, not acceptable. This child, this parent's child is on the field as he, he's getting arrested at the top of the hill. Yeah. Like, that's an embarrassment to the you kid. You don't think it happens. It happens. And it's an embarrassment to the kid. Oh. It really is. And I don't care if you're living in. Atlanta, Georgia, or Los Angeles, California, Portland, Maine, or Toronto, Ontario. It's real. It happens everywhere. We need to take some responsibility to be able to create an environment for our kids that they learn through this. And that's the last thing you want your kids to learn is to see your parent, you know, having a police officer discuss with them because he's upset that a call was made by a teenager in a baseball game. Yeah, just ridiculous, but. You know, and and I, I'm on that side. Coaching wise, like hockey, I I'll be I tell him right to his face. I told Victor Whalen he was out of his league one night playing when I was coaching Parkview. I mean, who am I to tell somebody that is, <laughs> is a level three or four referee that he's out of his league? Like, mind you, I was 26 to right. 25, 26, different mindset yeah. back then. Yeah, like I have no business saying that. And you know, Victor, great guy. You know. He's the RIC down here yeah, for, he for the association. And, you know, I, I just had no – I never did it again. Like, I, I'm i sure I've yelled before. I've got thrown out of a couple games. But now getting on the other side of it – Really helps. You know, that – oh, I mean – Enormously. If I go behind the bench again, it won't – It's it'll be night and day. Yeah. You know, and, and I hope parents see that if, if that happens someday. And I hope they see it now. Yeah. With hundred percent, you know, we have a good base down here for for umpires. Like they're emailing me in February, March. You know, when's the clinic? What are we doing? When can I get back on the field? And that's what you want. Yeah. Like I got a, a kid, Logan Haltum, like never says no. I called him on the golf course one day. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Got to need umpires. Like he went right over. I love it. Like you got to have got to have kids like that. Yeah. You know so. And you hope the the parents see it from both angles as an as an official, anyways. So, passing that knowledge down generationally, because we're not getting younger, mm-hmm. you start to see a fifteen year old kid or a thirteen year old kid umpiring. They really look up to you as a mentor in umpiring or refereeing too. Yeah. Whether you're Al O'Brien in a in a, a football game on a Saturday afternoon with the Seahawks or. You're a Pat Duffany in a softball game in a mixed Friday night, you know, mixed softball game. I think we need to show some appreciation to our officials across the board. Oh yeah, you know we 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 tend to. Well, that that the the old '80s song. You don't know what you've got till it's gone, and we've got some good officials, and a lot of communities have good officials. But they after a while, you get fed up with it. If you're not here, there's no hard games. to play. There's no games. Now you do like you even do gentleman hockey games like you know late in the nights where the ice time is only available for these men. That's right. And those can be some of the most difficult games to oh, officiate. And it's we call it gentleman's hockey. It's crazy. It's crazy. I just uh, we were talking upstairs. I, I mean, they know it was a bad game. I had a bad game last night. 
Like it's just, you know, it, it's ten thirty at night, and and you're it's an offside or an icing, and it's game's almost over. Like there's no there's no need of it. If I'm not there, there you're not playing. So we'll just have some fun. Well, if you are playing, you're just playing pickup hockey like we did on the, on the you know the ponds back in the day. That's right. There's no real organized structure to the game. No. And I think most men and women, because we had Candace Ernst here a couple of weeks ago, was one hell of a hockey player back That's in the right, day. Yeah. And there's a lot of great women hockey players today across the whole country. A lot of great athletes. And we mentioned you know Jenna Martin earlier is that we just have to respect our officials more. And because if we don't, you know, we're subject to just not being able to, to compete at the level you want to at whatever level from, we mentioned a triple-A level as as a kid or a young adult to a, a, a beer league, gentleman's league, Sunday night game at 10.30 at night, you know? There needs to come some reasonability where officials put time and energy into their lives. They show up on time. They do a job. They're not paid a lot to do, and we need them. Yeah, no, exactly. And and if you see that, you know, fifteen-year-old umpire out there, maybe he would make the national program, but he stopped playing. He stopped umpiring. Yeah, like you, you know, you never know. Like I know of a lot of umpires that have stopped umpiring. Yeah, for that reason of you know the criticism, and you know, there's articles all over the place about you know keeping officials. And nobody wants to officiate games, especially at the younger level. I can take it a bit on on the baseball side of things because you know well, you, were a you could give it back, and you know your line. You, you yeah. know, but these kids they just don't know how to deal with it. And even me, I'm still I'm still dealing with the game management part of it. That's a huge part of our super clinic is game management. Yeah, like that's that's a hard. The only one I know that's that's great at it is is Blaine Gallant. Yeah. He can manage a game. Because yeah. he knows what to say at the exact time you need to say it. It is very difficult to, to manage a game from, from an officiator. We, um, a very good friend of mine is, is Noelvis Gonzalez. He's one of the top coaches in in Cuba. And we, we have conversations about rhythm of the game, where the players have a responsibility to keep the rhythm of the game going, and so do the umpires. Yeah. You know, and if that rhythm of the game is going well, it just seems that the game goes so much faster. Oh, yeah. Right? When we drag everything down and we start to really, you know, not take that responsibility, it seems like the game goes into that three, three-and-a-half-hour window that nobody wants to go into. No. And in hockey, it's, it's just as bad because when the rhythm – that's why, you know, in the beginning, like my brother, Sean Woodworth, he, he's, you know, an assistant coach for the Lumberjacks here. The – um Sean and I both grew up playing differently. And, you know, I've come to Sean's side of it that the game has evolved to be a really fast game oh, now. Nuts. You know, yeah. and less penalties. Initially, it was probably a little bit more because of the new rules at that Stick time. Yeah. But I think through time, the feet are moving more now. Um, the game is quicker. It's more enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, look at the dynamic of, of the you know, the junior league, Quebec junior, WHL, OHL, like there's no fighting. Like, and it used to be nothing but. Nothing but. Which and the fan base used to, I remember they used to fight hard to try to keep fighting in the game. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you look at, you know, the Bridgewater Blues or Bridgewater Canadians, what they turned into. Yeah. I mean, you talk about, talk about games. Yeah. I went there as a, you know, seven, six, seven year old. Yeah, I remember. Right. It's just, you know, it's, 
it, it's a great game and both baseball, hockey, you know, football, sports are great. They are. And we need them. And well, you they're hope huge. you don't lose them. Right now in the pandemic, how important sports are. Oh. I mean, I, I golf more this year than I have like 50 rounds of golf. Jack I Murphy and something. I, who's a Jack's a Hall of Fame basketball coach in our area, and we discussed that. Like when they announced sports professionally, hockey, basketball, baseball, and football, the four big ones, soccer too, because soccer is an international game. When those games were announced, that whether it was no fans in some cases, like in basketball and hockey, or even limited fans like in football and baseball with the World Series this year, it really helped society. You know, it really did. When you look at, I, I couldn't imagine like two or three years without it. It would be such a different world. Yeah. yeah. So we need these kids that are officiating, that are going out there getting their level one certification. I, I'm really, I want to encourage, if you have a son or daughter that, you know, may not play baseball anymore, may not play soccer as much, Dig into your local associations and find out how you can get kids involved in officiating because it's a big part of the game. That's it. Yeah, just shoot me an email. Like, just if anybody's around here or around the so short, just it's on the website. Fire me off an email or fire Chris Sink, you know, who's the president, off the an email, and, and we'll get you going. But you don't have to play baseball to be an official. No. You know, you can learn the game. If you have a good, good knowledge base of the game, just get out there. It's Once you get your first couple games, it's, it's fine. And you think about the amount of officials that we have coast to coast, the numbers. Yeah. And all the sports combined would be, you'd be surprised how many there's needed to run our sports programs in this big, vast country we live in. I mean, geographically, we're one of the, we're one of the biggest in the world. But then we have a lot of distance between communities where if you don't have officials in a certain town, I know we have, as an association, had to pay umpires to drive here because of the need, because of how many teams we have. Oh, we do it every year. Right? And, I mean, the cost to do that is enormous. So to have local kids or local people involved as an official is, is, is critically important for the sports. You know, it keeps registration down at that point, mm. you know, it's which is a huge thing for, for everybody in the summer. And, you know, you have, you're not paying $40 for travel four times a weekend. That's, you know, 160 bucks right there that comes off registration. Absolutely. Like it's, so the, the more we have, like this year was tough with the COVID. We had, I bet, yeah, I had, I mean, we had to beg Aiden O'Brien to come out to do the 18U games, which <laughs> <laughs> he probably enjoyed. I've seen him a couple of times. Oh, number eight. Let so me tell you. He, uh, he, he, was, he was good enough to come out because, I mean, I, I didn't even know we were playing. I had my summer all booked. Right, I didn't do one game this summer. Wow. Not one. And, uh but we had like three or four that did all the games. Let's hope that um, moving forward that we have the opportunity to have some form of normalcy in sport again because it's, it's, it is a great release. I was talking to um, some previous guests about having extracurricular sports, extracurricular activities in school because I know you played sports in school as well that how important they are to the culture in school. If you take extracurricular activities out of a community or a school system, it's a completely different community. It's trouble. It's trouble. There's a lot of it coming. Kids, you know, I know a lot of kids, you know, being the you know, the president of Meyer Hockey, like you get emails all the time where 
They just want to play. They want their kids in hockey, you know, keep them out of trouble. Yeah. And, you know, if, you know, if we lose that, then, you know, we're, we're hope, you know, the hope is next year, maybe we'll be back to, back to full, full, full normalcy, but we'll see at that point. I think we'll value it more than ever before. I don't think we'll take it for granted. No, that's right. If we get to that point, which I'm, I'm hopeful. I don't know if I'll use the word optimistic yet, but I'm very hopeful that we get that opportunity and, and then to see you behind the plate or skating on, on an ice surface. And we, you know, we have, we don't have to have so much social distancing and have only a half a rink full or a quarter of a rink full or, come you know, you I, I really hope that those days come back. Yeah. No. And we hope our officials come back. That, and that's the mm-hmm. other big worry, Dennis, is that are they going to come back next year? Are my 40 umpires that I had two years ago? Right. We had four this year, four or five that did games. Are they coming back? Let's That's, hope we create the environment so they can do so. Yeah. Jeremy Stevens on the weekly Woodcast with Dennis and Michael Woodworth. Thanks so much for coming to the studio. Yeah, thanks today. for having me, Dennis. Appreciate it. You know, and I really appreciate you doing this with all your experience and, and knowledge when it comes to that. And uh, I'll look forward to future episodes. We can talk about other subjects. And, yeah, for sure. And maybe we'll get some other people like uh, – the missing link here that didn't show up tonight. Yeah, but you know what? Probably better that it didn't yeah, happen. Probably so. not. We, might not, we might not get a word in. <laughs> All right, Dennis and Michael Woodworth for the Weekly Woodcast. We look forward to you next week on Wednesdays right here on the Weekly Woodcast. Take care.